This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about Petty Dreadful, Season 3, Episode 8, Perpetual Nice. back penny faithful for the penultimate time for the second last episode of penny dreadful season three we're talking about episode eight perpetual nice i'm still one of your hosts derek yes and i am still in human form as one of your other hosts john welcome <laughs> fellow darklings and uh night comers mm. uh, indeed yes this is perpetual night and dare i say it london really has gone to shit it really um, has. <laughs> i wasn't expecting that they would literally turn it into sort of hell on earth and mm. um, there was part of me wondering whether it was just you know that kind of pea super it was just that um industrial landscape that's what they were trying to reference but mm -hmm. i i think here it really is about the end of days has been talked about yeah. um and i thought that was quite a bold and good choice yeah. to to go down that route rather than to simply have it fobbed off as um sort of the industrial pea super uh with the fog and the smoke yeah. and all of that making it the streets uh, as, as bad as it was even though that did happen so it's a, it's a nice reference to that as well but mm -hmm. yeah it, this is really indicating that yes it is coming to pass, the the prophecy, effectively, mm -hmm. which exactly. I thought was really good. Exactly. Yes, something to reference as well as we get into these final two episodes, this penultimate episode and the last one. Um, these were originally aired as one two-hour block when they aired uh, on Sky Atlantic at the time and on um, Showtime when they were aired originally. Uh, we're going to talk them as, about them as two separate episodes, episode eight followed by episode nine, because that's the way we've been doing the entire series. And also on the DVD, they are cut and separated. And I thought it was kind of sad. And episode nine started with a song instead of the theme tune because originally they were put together as one episode. So you wouldn't have had a theme tune in between the two. But I was kind of expecting the theme tune to come in at the start of episode nine. And when it didn't, I was really surprised. <laughs> I was kind of yep. like, oh, oh, so the last time we heard that beautiful theme tune uh, that we've been listening to for all 24 of 26 of these episodes since the beginning was in episode eight, not in episode nine. I was just really surprised by it. Yeah, it, it was... Uh... It was a bit of a shock, yeah, mm. but uh, it was a great little tune to it is, yeah. open it up yeah. uh, for episode nine, uh, for sure. But mm -hmm. yeah, the theme tune itself is great, uh, mm -hmm. but it, it was interesting to have that variation. Yeah. Uh, but of course, you wouldn't have gotten that when it was aired originally. Exactly, exactly. A lot of story in the last two hours as well. A lot of things wrapped up over the course of these two hours. I'm not sure we the way we watched it was we watched one episode one night and one episode the next night. So I'm not sure watching it because I think at the time when we watched it on television, we did watch both episodes back to back but so much is crammed into the last episodes to close off this season i think it works better as having it on two separate nights just to take it all in i do but i also think it's slightly asymmetrical mm. uh, in terms of the two i certainly didn't take as many notes uh for episode eight right and i think maybe because if it was running into episode nine ultimately 
um, as one big two-hour episode, mm-hmm. it, it's a different thing. Um, so in in that sense, you know, if you take it as a whole, it does build up. But yeah. I, I noticed I really was quite sparse on my notes, really, mm-hmm. for um, episode eight. And yeah. I think mainly it's because y- you've got, everyone coming back together again so it, it's a little with some alcum and ethan coming back to london this time mm. with ketney that it's re-establishing them back into london yeah. uh, a bit and, and catching up with the events that have unfolded yeah. in their absence i'm so glad this has worked out this way because i remember saying it back in episode six as we were recording it the parts that we've been recording i was wondering whether they just you know hop on a boat and get back to london to help out vanessa towards the end and of course they would that makes sense in your final season you can't have your characters separated for the whole season but it did take one extra episode and they're back and it does show the passage of time uh, in this episode so let's get into our discussions about it so we can go into our ma- big moments about the episode uh, episode once again directed by damon thomas who returns after uh, after the previous episodes he'd done i think he's done five episodes of uh, of penny dreadful overall and this time the episode was written by christy wilson cairns the other staff writer uh, that came on board for season three um john do you want to give us a summary for this episode sure so Malcolm, Ethan and Ketney arrive in London to find the streets deserted and falling under the influence of darkness. Katriona helps save them when they are attacked by vampires at Smalcom's home. She tells them that the end of days is coming and that Vanessa is the only one who can stop it. Dorian dismisses Lily's army and then kills Justine. <sighs> Lily reveals a secret from her past to Victor, who releases her without administering the serum. Dr. Seward discovers Renfield is working for Dracula, and Ethan is attacked by vampires in the deserted streets of London as Kearney reveals his true self. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Kawulfane, I think I was calling him uh, by the end of the I episode. think so. Or, dare I say it, the silver fox. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. John, what is your big moment from the penultimate episode of Penny Dreadful? I think it is the boys are back in town uh, in that sense, mm-hmm. and... London, as I've said before, going to shit. Really, I, I really like the the atmosphere that's created with this pea super uh, that is shrouding the city. Mm-hmm. The streets are deserted. Uh, there's plagues of rats as Sir Malcolm, Ethan, and Ketney arrive back in London and get off the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're told to get back on the ship and go back to wherever they came from because London has just um, fallen. Um, and you have the the frogs coming up from the the sewers uh, through the the pipework. Yeah, uh, I really like that. Where uh, as Doctor Seward sees that Renfield is listening in on her confidential um, drums uh, and the recordings of her uh, consultations with Vanessa. Mm-hmm. Um, and she realizes that he is working for Dracula. Um, you see him with a frog on the desk mm-hmm. and it, he's really descended into um, sort of the, the black veins around his eyes, the mm-hmm. red eye um the paler complexion. You know, she, she said in the last episode, are you, unwell mm-hmm. um and he, you know I, i'm really enjoying renfield and dr seawood um i have to say mm-hmm. uh, but here uh, she confronts him <laughs> but he does um obviously like frog's legs um as he mm. devours this frog but ultimately at least frog's um yeah. as yeah, exactly but as dr seawood kind of knocks him out uh with with the ashtray who says smoking's bad for you um <laughs> it saved her life anyway uh-huh. uh then uh you see all the frogs coming up through uh the sink um into her her office yeah. so you really get the sense of these 
almost these biblical plagues. Yeah. You know, you expect locusts to kind of swarm in at, at some <laughs> point. Um, we've we've had the rats and the frogs. Uh, so it, yeah, yeah. The, these night creatures. I do love uh, just after he bites into the frog, he kind of says, um, "Redfield says, I guess we should take this as my resignation <laughs> yeah. as well." And I love again as she does beat him to the ground and get out of the room. You know, it, she he's saying to her, "I know you don't have the heart to uh, to beat me. I know you can't beat me," kind of thing. And he's and he should have listened to more of the tapes because yeah. she is a murderer, right? Yes, so, exactly. Uh, so I do, I do like those that kind of interplay between the two. Now, I said this to John while I was watching the episode that I don't know why, but in my head, you know, when the the prophecy that was out there of when Vanessa joins up with Dracula, uh, the night creatures would take over London. I don't know why, but I was thinking much more supernatural creatures than you know actual bats and rats and frogs will take over you know the the animals that live during the night time you know are there more owls in the city of london now is that, is that the kind of thing that's going on and that's exactly what it is it's all of the creatures that come out at night now take over london because london is like night all the time i think i was just more expecting you know roaming vampires and uh, and zombies and uh, mummies and um, werewolves and that kind of stuff you know all those supernatural creatures would now take over the city but they actually meant creatures that live at night yeah, and I suppose from uh, the episode of Blade of Grass, mm. it is that Dracula is the master of these creatures. Yeah. Um, and it, I suppose it has a more biblical tone to it with mm-hmm. that. But who knows, though? Maybe in Egypt it is mummies that come out maybe. mainly. Uh, maybe it's werewolves and coyotes and so on in, in North America. Maybe, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, who, who knows? But uh, but certainly I, I really like this. And, you know, some Malcolm, Ethan and Ketney have come back to a very very different city and not only have they come back to a different city but they've come back to a different uh Samalcan residence where they're attacked i mean mm-hmm. we have that fairly disturbing image of the, the the dog on a butcher's hook hanging up in vanessa's uh bedroom and you you have uh dracula's familiars that have sort of moved on into Samalcan's uh house so mm-hmm. that, that you have this huge fight uh, here and you have catriona hartigan uh, coming to the rescue, but mm-hmm. Smalcom is bitten, and this is kind of the jump off point to get Victor back in. Um, but ultimately, uh, he is saved with a, a quick, uh, quick thinking from, uh, Dr. Hartigan with, uh, cauterization of, of the wound. But mm-hmm. I, I like that she kind of fills, uh, Smalcom in with what's been going on. Uh, although I, I, I like the fact that he does say, what are you doing in my house? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there is a strange woman who comes to the rescue to help um, them kill the familiars that are rampaging through the house, trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. But uh, ultimately, you know, Catriona Hartigan then does say, this is the end of days. She informs how she's been helping Vanessa, has been put in touch here, um, and, and that she effectively becomes part of the company that comes back together here yeah. uh, which I, I really like um, and does so- she mention to them at all that, that it's Mr Lyle that put them in contact no. I thought that that would have been a really easy line to say yeah it's it's a shame Ferdinand Lyle has left the country yeah. I've been put in contact with Vanessa because of my experience you know yeah, at it, least it, there's a connection to the company exactly there. <laughs> it would have been nice that I think yeah. um, but uh, no she, she doesn't but I think um, you know here um, as well, at the same time, Dr. Seward arrives um, and you have Sir Malcolm meeting both Dr. Seward for the first time and uh, getting to know uh, Hartigan here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, them ultimately going to um Bedlam Hospital in in order to um interrogate uh, Renfield. Yeah. Uh, there is a great line as Doctor Seward returns, um, and the orderly the um. She goes, have you restrained him? And he goes, yes, he's been biting. Um, <laughs> because Renfield's, yes, he's certainly got the, the taste for, for blood. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, he's hoping to become who he thinks he might be, um, in this moment now that the end of days has arrived. But you have this, this great little, um, this fight and you, you see the, the power of the familiars. And I, I think this leads, you know, with, um, Ethan going out to try and find uh, Dr. Frankenstein mm-hmm. to tr- come and help um, Smalcolm. I think ultimately that that all kind of falls by the wayside a bit and it doesn't really play out like that. Um, Ethan doesn't find Victor. In fact, there's a, a chance meeting because Victor is already at Bedlam Hospital mm. in, in episode nine. So it, it feels a bit like a, a mistake that they've kind of actually bumped in, you know, a, a, a fairly... Uh, fortuitous encounter, dare I yeah. say it. Uh, but in this deserted London, you have the familiars feasting. Uh, Ethan is brought away by a creepy kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, he comes face to face with Dracula in Chinatown. Um, and this is where Ethan puts forward his intentions that he is here for Vanessa. He will protect her. He mm-hmm. will defend her against Dracula. Yep. Dracula doesn't finish him off now um, and instead leaves that to his familiars. But luckily there is a full moon mm-hmm. and we do get uh, a great little street fight with him uh, white sort of clawing his way through the familiars. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, we get the arrival of the silver fox in Kertney, yeah. his father, who yeah. is also uh, a werewolf. And I really, really like that. I mean, it's been signposted pretty heavily. Uh, I think the interesting thing, and just to sneak into episode nine, yeah. is that this is new for Ethan. He didn't realize mm. that Kertney was also a werewolf. He didn't realize that it was Kertney who had effectively... Uh, given this curse mm-hmm. to uh, Ethan, to himself, um, which I, I found surprising um, because I, I was under the impression that's kind of why he hated him so much. But actually, the hatred by Ethan of Kertney, that that kind of fairly antagonistic relationship, mm-hmm. comes from the fact of what Kertney um has asked Ethan to do for the Apaches that that bloodlust that comes uh, in him sort of taking the revenge on the US Army on mm-hmm. his family and so on it all comes from that and so Ethan discovers that Kentney is his his dog father uh, <laughs> should yeah, I say um, that he is he is kind of this beast father and I I, I do like um, this this conversation I'm I'm bringing it in here. Um, from episode nine, but I think it's a really nice moment where, you know, Kertney describes how I thought it was this gift to save my people, the Apaches, mm-hmm. but ultimately, um, it needed someone who was pure of heart and um, who would save all people. And that was why Kertney picked Ethan. Yeah. Um, he, he has this great line of, I claimed you for God, mm-hmm. uh, when he realized what 
this curse actually meant, what mm. this power uh, meant. Um, I, I thought that was really nice. Yeah. But the two of them, uh, you know, are, go all out working together uh, to kill the familiars in, yeah. in Chinatown as they're attacked. Uh, so I, I really like this atmosphere uh, in London. That mm. It felt dangerous. It felt like it had gone to pot. It, it felt... Um, menacing yeah. and, and creepy. Uh, I thought it was really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I, I mentioned earlier on in the season that I was hoping that we would get the story of how uh, Ethan became the wolf. You know, I, I, we had heard his history. We'd had the background of what happened between himself and his family. Uh, and I was hoping they were going to get time really to tell the story of what happened with Ethan. Um, I think it was signposted that, that of course, his connection with the Apache is what turned him into a werewolf. But I was quite surprised in a way that Kertney was also a werewolf, and he's the one that turned Ethan. I don't know why it felt like it would be more that Kayat and I turned him into the weapon. I didn't think there was going to be a family of wolves uh, in that way, but it was definitely signposted. It was there. It's yeah. not a massive shock, but I do think it was It was good that they had it in here like that. Though. But it also was quite cute, because Kayat and he looked like he had little grey ears from <laughs> from the, the, the mane of hair that grows when he becomes a he werewolf. <laughs> so it was like a little kind of doggy ears. But uh, no, I, I really like this. Um, I, I think of all the characters introduced uh, in season three, mm -hmm. I think Kertney has been the one that has really been fleshed out yeah, like in, in a good um, amount and, and really feels integral to the storyline. I, I feel that with you know, I, I love Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde, that storyline. I'm so excited uh, with Dr. Jekyll mm. uh, coming into this show. Yeah. But I just feel we've not really talked about him except with Victor. And mm -hmm. I think he's not had the same treatment that I feel he should have had gotten uh, by coming into this show. And, yeah. and I, I think for me, it's just simply that I think he should have been introduced in season one or season two mm -hmm. much earlier on so that you know it could have been explored more fully um but obviously you know he, he's been brought in for a particular reason yeah. uh, in, in this season uh, but it's a shame because I, I really like the the character of dr jekyll and mr hyde uh, from the literature and I, i've always felt that in films, it's just either been really badly portrayed or has been given short shrift. And yeah. I think in this instance, I've, I'm regretful that he has been given short shrift because I loved the character, what we have seen. Yeah. And I think Shazaz Latif, um, ha has been brilliant and I yeah. would love to have seen him become Mr. Hyde, um, and just really see that dual personality. Yeah. But, um, I think it's great that Kentney has had this treatment there, yeah, Definitely. I was going to actually save some of the discussion about things that we may not have felt um, were the greatest thing about season three. Maybe some of the characters that were missed out. I was going to say that towards the end of season, of episode nine discussion uh, as we close out the series, if that's okay. Let's, yeah, let's definitely. A little bit of that, but I'm, I'm totally with you. Um, I, I feel sad. There's some characters that have been in the season that we haven't talked about outside of the summary because they've been reasonably perfunctory. They've kind of push the narrative forward and could have been used much stronger. So let's talk about that as we get to the end of the episode uh, of episode nine. Um, this this P-Super in London is kind of a reference as well in itself, isn't it? There's a, the whole concept of what happened with Jack the Ripper and his murders in London yes. that took place around a time where there was 
massive fog that was in London that, that, that held up apparently the investigation that was going on and uh, that allowed Jack the Ripper to escape for a bit longer apparently. There was sort of some leads that they had they couldn't follow up because people couldn't leave their houses during this massive fog. It seems so different to what we see now. You know, a fog comes down and everybody just kind of gets in their cars and goes out. Uh, but at times during this really industrial period of, in London, I think up until the up until the 50s, um, when a fog descended, it can merge with the kind of output of it, of industry, output of factories, yeah. and creates kind of this um, acid fog almost, like acid rain that we would have had yeah. in the 80s or we know of from the 80s. But this acid fog killed thousands of people in London. And and every house, it, it you know, it was run on coal. Mm. Every house had a coal fire or a coal stove. Coal was king. Mm-hmm. Um, coal drove the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. through steam power um, and with uh, electricity generation of electricity and so you know coal was king so not only the industry pumping out um whatever it was pumping out because mm-hmm. of course you know no kind of environmental protection of course. in that sense and um, as but all the houses you know the the bit of the fuel used for cooking um for heating was primarily coal yeah. um so you know the the nascent electricity that was coming in. It was generated by coal, yeah. and it was all coal powered. So, um, all this combined, um, to to and sort of make the fogs worse, but also uh, in the reactions in the atmosphere yeah. for them to be seriously dangerous. Yeah, and in the fifties, there were something like twelve thousand deaths from a big pea super industry, much still very prominent mm-hmm. in London and that led to the Clean Airs Act yeah. um in the UK at least. Yeah. Um so yeah it 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 had implications. And that's the thing. I I think this is the really interesting it plays on that here, but ultimately it is the end of days that mm-hmm. is happening. This is almost the use of this fog and the industry. Mm-hmm by the forces of darkness yeah. to, um, and I, I that I thought was really good absolutely I love that kind of tying in that you know everybody else in London is thinking oh it's just the factories and the fog and and we know uh, watching this show that actually it was because of the supernatural element that was going on that brought in uh, this I think that's quite that's quite a nice touch to kind of tie it into something that does realistically happen but it is a surprise thinking about it this far away from it and not researching it up until uh, watching these episodes I suppose that this kind of stuff did happen on occasion and was a, an event that could have been protected if industry didn't output so much toxic waste effectively into the atmosphere at the time. So very thankful that, that kind of stuff doesn't happen these days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go back to Justine and Lily and Dorian uh, for my big moment from this episode. Uh, we talked about it a little bit more uh, in our episode seven discussion, but I thought the, um, connection between those two major characters lily had mentioned before that justine not only reminds her of herself she basically is exactly the same as what lily was like when she was brona and walking the streets the two of them are very similar so what i thought was really good connection in here from the writer was that both of them make similar statements uh, as they're threatened with their lives effectively you have justine saying she'd rather die on her feet than live on her knees as dorian kind of dissipates lily's tribe of women um you have the attack. He, he is stabbed by by Justine uh, directly in the heart, and he just 
pulls the knife out, drops to the floor <laughs> yeah. as all of the women go running. <laughs> yeah, who've been like, told to leave. They you know? leave pretty quick, smartish, don't they? When they mm-hmm. realise he effectively uh, is not a regular man. Yeah, uh, I, I did like that moment, mm-hmm. um, and but I liked the the effective bravery of Justine to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, have this similar uh, view of the world as Lily. Yeah. Uh, you know, in that sense, she is this true acolyte of yeah. Lily's that um, she would prefer to face him and, and stay here than go back to the life she had previously. Well, she just says she can't. You know, he's, he's telling her, I don't care where you go. Just go back to your silly little life and die as soon as you're going to die, basically. Just get out of here. And she just says she can't. She can't go back to her life on her knees. And he snaps her neck. Um, is his instant response. There's no moment of him going, well, live here with me and, and yeah. live out the rest of your life. That's it. They've yeah, had, that, that's they've had not their boring. Yep. She's, tried to, she's tried to kill him. And he says, well, if you'd rather die on your feet, well, I could do that for you. <laughs> yeah. And snaps her neck. And the flip side of that, we have uh, Lily appealing to Victor. Um, it has always been a really creepy concept that we've had Victor bringing Brona back to life as Lily and then wanting her for himself. And because she developed into the person that she is, she left him and went off to seek something else. And now what he wants to do is effectively uh, Eliza Doolittle her with drugs, turn her into a proper lady so that she will live with him for the rest of her life. And she's constantly saying to him that, you know, you can't force me to be the person that you want me to be because that's not me. Yeah. But this discussion that we have between the two of them where she's appealing to Victor because he loves her or he loves a version of her. She's appealing to him to not let that go. Um, I love some of the lines from Billy Piper in this. Yeah, she's, it's really she's got good. some great moments where she's saying to him, you know, do you want me to beg for the barest scraps of dignity when she has to ask for a glass of water? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but she says the line to him, she'd rather die who she is than live as his demure wife. Um, yeah. And she she explains about her her daughter, Sarah, well, yeah. as well. Um, you know, th- that... Um, you know, she, she, and she is quite clear to Victor, um, that even your creature, John Clare, is more human than he has been mm-hmm. to her. And, you know, for her, the, the comment she makes is that the, it's worse, um, than death because she's going to be unmade. It, it's as I was saying from the previous episode, for Lily, she doesn't scrub her past away. She realized that that journey for all good and what, bad bits of it Mm -hmm. is the journey that's made her who she is this resilient strong woman who wants to change things however much in a in a bloodthirsty way Mm. um but this the cruelty of the world has reflected back on her and while she now has dignity and strength there is a cruelty behind that Mm -hmm. but actually what we find here is behind that there is something more because of her the loss of her daughter and Absolutely. the indignity that women have, have borne the brunt of in this male dominated society mm-hmm. and, and the stuff that they have to do which is you know just not acceptable yeah. and behind that there is a a occurring sort of matriarchal absolutely. element to it as well but and i, I, I love, really like that absolutely i just love the strength of the character that comes out as she tells the story you know where she talks about in order to feed her child that's why she had to go to the streets so she left her child alone while she did that thinking it's only a quick job i'll close my eyes and it'll be over soon and then she got beaten to the ground by this john and then he didn't pay her yeah um and she lay on the ground 
sore and in pain and you hear her saying you know all i wanted to do was just get up why the hell didn't i get up if i got up my daughter would have lived and you can tell that she she has learned from those experiences in her life who she has become those those are the things that have taught her who she become and rather than other people in this story even who want the past to be wiped away so that they can live their life she knows that she can't overwrite the past you can't just forget about it because it would change her as a human and i think that's really interesting you know one of the central themes of the whole series of penny dreadful is privilege and advantage versus working class people you know the things that people have to do and work hard for and attain versus the things that are given to them you know everything from um other characters who live out their life treating people like crap because they have the money and the privilege to do it and brona was one of those people that lived that life and has now fought her way out of it to get to this point, even though, okay, there's a bit of supernatural stuff and being brought back from the dead. Yeah, exactly. But she's fought her way out of that, and she never wants to go back to that um, because it takes away all of that experience, all of that work, all of that effort that she put in to get out of that situation. So uh, so it does really speak to that story. And I like that the response from Victor is to release her, to say that it yeah. is easy for us to become monsters. It is easy for us to turn into monsters. Um, and he releases her from that. And another little touch that kind of connects those two situations between um, Dorian snapping Justine's neck. As Lily goes, she does reach for Victor's neck. She reaches yep. for his throat, touches it, and then walks out. But I, I like, you know, that the it depends on who you're appealing for leniency to. You know, if it's someone that loves you, like Victor loves Lily, his response is, I will let you live then. Whereas if you're appealing to Dorian, yeah. you know, I'd rather die than do that. Dorian will go, okay, well, I'll let you die. You know, that's, that's the difference between the two. You know, v Victor is a person with a heart who's been trying to live with the person he loves, who doesn't love him back. Whereas Dorian is trying to get back to his old life and Justine is standing in his way almost, you know, yeah, he's challenged well, him. And it's, it's, you know, the privilege because they believe they are superior to others mm -hmm. it's class war it's almost the precursor to to racism is this you were judged based on your position in life yeah. uh, and with that privilege meant you had no empathy with these people and so mm. you treated them like animals or dirt and it, it it's just another list in in isms effectively mm. uh, that are are negative and biased and um and that's i think one of the 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 big things that comes out of here uh, as well I, I i think not only that strength but you really feel the power and the threat of lily now she tempers it as you say with victor and um, and that's because in a sense she can empathize with victor she mm -hmm. doesn't come she's experienced the same as he has and he has had the empathy enough to understand her point of view and she is that that's the thing underneath this kind of cruelty that maybe she has shown mm. she does have this other empathetic side you know you really do get that sense of a threat from her i mean i was all the way through that scene was why have you just strapped her ankle uh, i yeah. was wondering how victor was going to actually inject the serum anyway because yeah. her her arms were free and with the glass of water that was a ruse to try and you know again get free and, and grab hold of victor so um really yeah i really got that sense um of her her strength but also linked with that strength to effectively snap victor's neck at any moment yeah. so i i i felt that menace 
and it was played so well by Harry Treadaway, where he, you know, you could see him skirting the the circumference of where mm-hmm. the chain allowed Lily to get to. Yeah. But I, I, you're right. I don't know how it would have played out because yeah, yeah. he couldn't have gotten close to her. You know, they remember they'd strapped the Scottish um, guy that they that they tested yeah. the ceremony strapped by his head, head. by his hands, yeah, exactly. by, his, by his legs, and we already know that that Lily has been given a form of super strength by being brought back from the dead. They already know she's very strong, so she could have easily broken the bond. So I suppose an interesting idea that you have Lily talking her way out of it when she could have actually killed Victor. Um, Yeah. You know, I I think that's a a nice indication of the type of character that she is. Yeah, definitely. The other thing I thought that actually may have happened was with Ethan being uh, charged to find Victor, that ultimately he was brought to Bedlam uh, by the creepy child instead of to Chinatown, (laughs) and that he would come face to face with Brian. I'm glad they didn't do that because it would have been a complication to the the story way too late it would have yeah. needed to have been done earlier and also it um, would have been brona being saved by a man or lily being saved by a man I exactly like that she saved herself exactly by using all the knowledge that she had of victor to but, get her released yeah, yeah absolutely but i i was certainly just i was anticipating some awkward uh moment Sorry. of him bursting in with victor and seeing brona alive in the chair mm-hmm. uh, and it, it leading to um some kind of fallout between the two of them. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't do that because it, it, it really wouldn't have been the right time to do Not it. There, definitely. It is odd, and we will definitely talk about that one as well at the end. Uh, it is odd that two seasons have gone by, two members of the same company, both New Brona and one of the members... Ethan hasn't met Brona for two seasons. I do think that is very odd. That's a small circle. We thought it would have happened at this stage. That was, anyway, that was my note for uh, for this episode. Uh, anything else you wanted to talk about in this episode, or Anything else we hadn't covered off? No, no notes for uh, this one. That's really difficult to say. No notes. <laughs> uh, no, 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 notes. No, 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 notes. No, 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 notes. Oh, wow. A too unlimited reference. Exactly. John. Uh, that might get us sued as well because you're not Chris, so you actually had the tune there. Um, <laughs> only one thing I, I had that I wanted to say for the episode. You mentioned it earlier on that a, a, you, you called it a dog uh, hung on a hook over Vanessa's bed. Yeah. Uh, when I saw that instantly, I was think, thinking it was a wolf uh, to uh, taunt Ethan. Um, that's why it was hung up over the bed. It looked well, like I, a wolf. I think it is to taunt him, definitely. Yeah, but, but the reason why it looked like a wolf, because we know from season one there are wolves in London. We'd seen them uh, when they went to visit the zoo uh, in season one. So, uh, so I thought it was a wolf that was strung up over the bed, bleeding out over her bed to show... I have her now kind of thing from Dracula, real taunt well, to Ethan. Yeah, and maybe it was. It certainly wasn't a, a chinchilla anyway, um, <laughs> Sorry, and <yes>. a poodle. <laughs> it was rather a big dog. It, it was a big dog. The message gave If not a wolf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and finally, one other thing, considering we're going through COVID-19 times at the moment, <laughs> uh, it just struck me that moment from Ethan uh, where 7,000 people have died in the fog. And Katrina says to Ethan, if you're going to go out, you need to wear a mask. And Ethan says, I'll take my chances. Yeah, he wouldn't survive very, very well in these times. No, not at all. No, it's, oh, no, I'll be grand. Don't worry about me. So don't, I'm not going to listen to any of the messages from, uh, from uh, the <laughs> government that tell me what I need to do going out into this. I'll be fine. I must say, it was the weird thing about this with the plague, the pestilence and so on. Mm. And yeah, you've kind of got this deserted London with a city in lockdown um, mm-hmm. in that sense. And you're just thinking, this is just weird. And then being told, wear a mask and, yeah. and all of this, it 
it it felt strangely uh, surreal for the current times that we're living in with Didn't the lockdown. Trust. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, one of our listeners, Steve Brown, uh, wonderful friend of the show, uh, pointed out that early in season one, uh, Ethan was also asked to social distance from uh, from Brona. So uh, <laughs> that that was quite interesting. <laughs> so Ethan not taking any uh, responsibility for his actions during a, during a period of uh, that he should be staying indoors and wearing. Yeah, because she had consumption, didn't mm-hmm. didn't she? And yet, yes, they were certainly. Uh, very intimate with one another i yeah. just i'm not too sure uh to what extent consumption is infectious or not or whether it's just a plague on the lungs mm. from the environment i don't know yeah no i think i think there's some there's something that could have happened if he was staying very close so basically follow the rules that everybody says you know stay indoors if you can and wear your masks and wear your gloves and all that kind of stuff unless you're a supernatural being who has werewolf powers well exactly then taking your chances uh, isn't as difficult as it would be for everybody else yeah exactly <laughs> that's it that's our discussion for episode eight the penultimate episode of season three of penny dreadful actually the penultimate episode of penny dreadful this the penultimate perpetual um episode <laughs> We'll be back next time to talk about the final episode of Penny Dreadful Season 3, Episode 9, The Blessed Dark. Ah, 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 ah.